Our scripture reading for today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Okay, I, I want to know uh, who recognizes what I'm about to show you. Um, anybody besides um, Jordan or Mike uh, is the answer, is the question. You don't say it out loud, just raise your hand. Does anybody know what that is? Just raise your hand if you're familiar with what that is. I see one. I think they're just scratching their head. That wasn't real. <laughs> okay. Uh, so like two of you. Got it. Um, okay. I'm going to see if, if this helps. Let's go to the next one. Does anybody know what that is? Raise your hand if, if you're familiar with, you've seen that before. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Um, so this is the name of God uh, in English as we have it. Um, and, and you and I have come to know it in different ways. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we'll get to the, uh, a, a third picture here in just a second. But um, uh, just a little disclaimer. The story I'm about to give you is a little bit disputed on how we've come to know the name of God. But most historians think this is most likely what has happened. Um, in the story we just read in Exodus chapter 3, God is going to tell Moses his name. And we know it's those four letters uh, that we just saw, the four letters. And because the Jews did not want to sin by taking the, the Lord's name in vain, they said, well, let's just never say it. Let's just never, ever say his name. And then we can't say his name in vain. And they would use this Hebrew word that we, we say Adonai uh, instead, and it's a title for Lord. Uh, so Adonai means Lord. It's not his personal name. But whenever they would see his name, they would say Adonai. Sometimes they would say Elohim, um, or just Hashem, which means the name, which I think is kind of the coolest way to describe God. Just Hashem, the name. 
Um, so they would never, ever say his personal name. Um, and we don't know 100% what it really was. Um, <clears throat> almost, almost all scholars would agree it's the word Yahweh that you're familiar with. That's his name. Um, but so Yahweh is used 6,800 times plus in the Bible. And the Jews refuse to say it. So that's a lot of times to look over that word and not say that name. And um, so as time went on, Hebrew was a language that didn't get used very much. And so um, in the 5th century AD, there were these Jewish scholars who recognized that and said, well, you know what? Everybody used to know Hebrew, but now they just don't as much. Let's help everybody by putting some vowels into it. Because the original Hebrew didn't have vowels. And so they said, we're just going to help you guys so that if you see it, you'll know how to read it. And they added vowels. Um, But because they were Jews, they said, we're never going to say God's name. We're going to put the vowels of Adonai. Whenever the word Lord, Yahweh, is there, we're going to put the vowels for Adonai instead. Now, they knew why they did that. But as centuries went by, not everybody understood what had happened. And so, without getting too crazy into a language lesson, when you put the vows of Adonai into God's name, you get this. Yahovah. And when we take that to English, because all Y's turn into J's in English, we get Jehovah. That's right. And Jehovah is an English version of a translation from Latin. It gets a little bit complicated. But this became the name that was used for God in English, Jehovah. Um, So, in the earliest English Bibles, Tyndale, Wycliffe, the King James, all of those, they used this word. And we would say, it is an inaccurate translation. Um, Jehovah is not God's name. Um, many of us learned it this way because we read the King James growing up and things like that. Um, but we just know that it's from putting the vowels of another word into uh, the consonants of, of God's name. And so um, you'll still see this word all the time. You'll still see even modern praise songs will use the word Jehovah in it. It's just a, it's become a word that we think of when we think of, of God. And, and there's been kind of some debate, but most people would say it's, it's probably still okay that we use the word Jehovah. Because, newsflash to all of us in this room, the name Jesus isn't really Jesus' name either. We've just taken an English attempt at Yeshua. So, when we call Jesus Jesus, it's not his name, but that's okay. We're doing our best. Um, you know, Shakespeare st- said that a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. And I, I think that kind of applies uh, to, this, to this short lesson that you're getting. So you're not committing blasphemy if you, you know, pray to Jehovah. If you sing, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, we're all okay. <clears throat> and, and so no matter the, the name for God, whether you use Spanish or Chinese or Swahili, right, when we address God with respect and not in vain, we are treating his name correctly. Uh, and which is a good thing, because as my Hebrew professor used to joke, uh, you all better hope that God speaks to you in English, because none of you are good enough at Hebrew, apparently, to have a, any kind of conversation with him. So we'll all be in real bad shape if we get to heaven and, and he's talking to us in Hebrew. We're going to have to have a crash course, because I'm, 
I couldn't do it either. So, but the name of God, it is, it is a thing of immeasurable value to the Jews. Israel regarded the name of God as holy. Uh, and and, and thus it was something that that couldn't even be found on a person's lips. It was blasphemy just to say the name because our lips are so sinful. Even to say his name was sinful to the Jews. Even worse than doing that was attributing that name to yourself. It was the worst form of blasphemy deserving of death. And so this is why in John chapter 8, the Jews try to stone Jesus uh, because as he's in a discussion with them. He, he says this, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And when they said, when he said that, they all went, let's get him. He just, he just committed the sin. But, but Jesus goes out of his way over and over to show himself as God throughout the Gospels. And we're going to start a new series um, through, through this season uh, of Lent. And, and, and Jesus is going to make seven, we call them the great I am statements in the book of John. Uh, so that's what we'll be studying the next seven weeks is, is uh, these, these seven great I am statements of Jesus. And, and in those seven statements, Jesus summarizes who he is and, and what he has come to do. Our, our first statement this morning uh, is found in John chapter 6. And, and in that statement, Jesus addresses the question, where can we go to be satisfied? So that's our question for this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are so thankful for your word that you have revealed to us, that you have revealed to us your name, who you are, because you want us to know you. So help us to know more of Jesus today, through this time. We ask this in his name. Amen. So turn to John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 35. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so I mentioned that this is the first of the seven I am statements in John. And, and I probably need to clarify that sentence. 
Because Jesus said, I am, a lot of times informally, like, I am going where you cannot follow. I am is a very common phrase. It's probably the most common phrase in language. You and I probably say it hundreds of times a day. But these seven that we're going to talk about, these seven are different. They are formal I am statements, formal I am statements. And I'll, I'll do my best to explain. I'm not an English teacher or a linguist of any kind, but here we go. In English, we basically have, if you remember the song from English class, all the B, M, R, was, were, helping verb song. Do, did you guys learn that one? Any, somebody? Somebody raise a hand. Thank you. These are the, yeah, the helping verbs. Yeah. We basically have one, and it, it, it comes in different forms, but it's am. I am. That's the only way we have to say I am. Um, and, and for us, we have to give context to explain what we mean whenever we say that. Uh, <clears throat> like we have a temporary one. For instance, I am hungry. That is a temporary phrase. That's a temporary I am statement. Because I'm not always hungry. There are times that I'm not. I am hungry. Or maybe if you're saying this right now, I am bored of this English lesson. <laughs> but there are also permanent ways to use I am. And, and those would be things like, I am from Texas. That will never, ever change. No matter where I go, I am from Texas. Or, I am an Aggie. Again, uh, permanent. Might be a little unfortunate, but it is p- permanent. I am an Aggie and forever will be. So, um, if, if you know Spanish, if you had to learn any verbs in Spanish, you know that they have a couple of different forms of I am. <clears throat> and they tend to be based on that. Are they temporary or permanent? So the verb ser and the verb estar. Does anybody know any Spanish? Ser and estar? Somebody. Okay. Whew. I'm struggling through this. All right. <laughs> Most languages, except for English, have different forms of the I am verb. It's, it's a common thing. I'm sure German does. I don't know that. Latin did. Greek and Hebrew. All these different languages have different ways to do that, and they tell you more about it by the verb that you use. And so when Jesus makes these seven formal statements, uh, what he does there is he combines the different verb forms. He, he takes the permanent and the temporary, like to say, I am the I am. I am the I am. Uh, and so that's what he is going to call himself, the I am the I am. And so the way in Greek or Hebrew, the, the, the people didn't commit uh, this sin all the time by saying, I am, like I am hungry. If you didn't use the two together, you weren't trying to make yourself God. You weren't using some kind of official title. And that's what God does in Exodus 3, right? Where it says, I am that I am. Or, or some will say, I will be what I will be. It's a, it's a very self-determinant kind of thing. It's as bold a statement as somebody could make. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. No one can tell me who I am. I am. Jesus is going to use this very same title. In, uh, uh, in, in Greek, it is ego eimi. Ego eimi is, is putting these two verbs together. So you can learn some Greek today. Ego eimi is I am, the great I am. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, and there's no misunderstanding when, when he does this. Everyone knew exactly what he meant. <clears throat> Again, the Pharisees will try to kill him over and over again because he keeps using this, ego eimi, I am that I am. 
And so I can say without exaggeration, this is one of the, the most famous, most important statements in all of Scripture here in John chapter 6. And so we, we need to examine it just a little bit as we, as we get into it uh, because a lot has been happening um, it, it just relatively in this little part of, of John. And so if you, if, you, if you go back to John chapter 4, J- Jesus is going to have this, this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And, and he's going to tell her, basically, he, they're at this well, and he says, <clears throat> you know, if, if you knew me, you knew that I could give you a drink that would make you never thirsty again. I, 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 I have water that will satisfy you, that will nourish you forever. And she thinks, that's great. I don't have to keep coming back to the well. I'd love that. And he says, look, it's me. That's who I am. And so uh, as we get into John chapter 6, kind of a similar similar thing is happening. And, And Jesus has been teaching, and there's this giant crown following him and he says look we need to we need to feed these people they they've been following me around let's let's give them something and and this is where we get the the loaves and fish the the miraculous feeding of the 5000 as soon as that happens it says that that the people are so excited it says they're going to take him to Jerusalem they're going to make him king by force and Jesus knows that and so he leaves he escapes from the crowd and goes and hides in the mountains and and goes to pray and after that, it's kind of nightfall. His disciples don't know where he went, so they got in the boat. And, and Jesus says, well, I'm going to go get to my disciples. And he walks on water, right? This is just before our passage here. He walks on water. He meets them in the boat. And it says, then they immediately got to the shore. And now they're in this little town called Capernaum. And, um, I'll just say something here that I think is worth saying. And that is, this is at the height of the popularity of Jesus, if Jesus wanted to build a megachurch, this would have been the time to do it. The, the Sea of Galilee Community Church could have easily been built on the shores right here. He would have had 5,000 members just in the first day. They would have had great potlucks, as you can imagine. There would have been tons of miracles. This could have been the place, right? Let's just build the thing right here. I've got my followers. But Jesus doesn't do that. And the, and the question we have to ask is why? Why doesn't Jesus just stay put, build him a church, have this great following, everybody showing up to church? Seems as though he's got something else in mind. It seems as though um, he, he's not worried about popularity or, or some kind of movement at this, at this time. And, and, and we'll find out from our, what we just read that, that Jesus doesn't, doesn't really care for their motivation. He knows why they're following him. He knows what their hearts are. And he doesn't want fair-weather fans. He doesn't want any fair-weather fans. Immediately, he kind of rebukes them. He says, the only reason you guys are coming after me is because you're hungry. We had a great lunch. Now you're finding me. You want breakfast. That's the only reason why you're here. They want, you guys want me to feed you again. And Jesus knows our motivations. And and, and like last week, we talked about this idea that that do we follow Jesus out of gratitude to worship him because we recognize what he's done? Or are we just trying to get stuff from him? That's a really imbalanced relationship. It's called using people, and we don't want to use Jesus. Jesus is not interested in this type of follower, and, and he's going to make that really clear to these people right now. And, and so they have this, this kind of interesting back-and-forth dialogue. They go back and forth with Jesus several different times, and um, and, and we can say they're testing him. They're testing Jesus, and, and he's really having none of it. 
And, and so at one point he tells them, hey, you need to believe in me. You need to believe that I'm the one that God sent. And they say, well, what, what are you going to do for us to prove that we should believe in you? And, and they say, our, our, our fathers got to eat the bread of, bread of Moses. And, and, and what are you going to give us? Jesus is going to fix their theology, and basically he's going to say, look, Moses never brought you anything, right? This bread came from heaven. It was from God. God was the one who fed you. It wasn't Moses. See, Jesus is trying to help them understand that, that he is what, what he'll call the true bread. I'm the true bread. You're, you're wanting some manna from heaven. I'm the true bread. Um. And so, because we're not Jews, we're, we're missing a little bit of the critique of what they're doing with him in this moment. So, they're making this implication with him that they say, look, you, you already had some loaves and some fish. All you did was kind of like multiply that. That's like an earthly miracle. They're downplaying what Jesus just did. We, we can't read it in, into this way, but they absolutely are. They say, look, Moses brought this manna that was from heaven. All you did was multiply some earthly stuff. He did something greater than you. What are you going to do to show us that we should believe in you? And in, in, in the minds of Jews, they had the first redeemer was Moses. And, and they were looking for the second redeemer. And he was either called the prophet or the Messiah. The, the, and he would be sort of like Moses. But, but Moses is the first redeemer for them. And, and Jesus says, Moses was not the redeemer. You're, you're absolutely wrong. Moses was not the redeemer. God was the redeemer. You guys missed the whole story of the Exodus. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. God was your redeemer. Moses didn't bring any bread from heaven. God did. And so then he says, look, and God sent me the true bread in the exact same way that he sent manna. He brought me down to you so that I could be the true bread, different than manna. And so if you like writing down points of a sermon, I guess you could say this is the first one. Jesus is the true bread. He's the true bread from heaven. And see, Jesus likes to, to kind of f- fulfill things and say that he's the true of something that we've seen in the Old Testament. He does this even in the book of John several times. Um, he says at one point, he says, you know, we've got the temple. I'm the true, you know, you can knock that thing down because I'm the true temple. He is the place where God meets with man. And in, in chapter 3, he references, there was this bronze serpent. If you remember the story where everybody that looked on this serpent in, in the book of Exodus, they would be saved because they, they were dying from the poisonous snakes. And he says, look, I'm, I'm the true salvation. That, that snake thing was, was a temporary thing. I'm the fulfillment of that. If you, anyone who looks on me will be saved, and not just from snake bites. I'm true salvation. And so he's doing this again. He says, I'm the true bread. <clears throat> and the crowd, how do they respond? Actually, they respond with sarcasm. Uh, It's lost on us, again, because of translation. It sounds polite where it says, Sir, please give us this bread. Um, But but even though it sounds polite, the way that they're saying it, we know that it's sarcastic. And they're saying, basically, Hey, sure, mister. Uh, Why don't you give us this magic bread that you're talking about? That's how this should be, be read for us. And this is now time for his famous statement. He says, I... I'm the Lord, and I am the bread of life. It's me. I am God, and I am the bread of life. 
And so let me tell you just a few things about what Jesus means when he says that he is the bread of life. As you can imagine, he means that he is uh, necessary for the life of our souls, just like, uh, just like we need bread, just like we need nourishment to survive. He says, I'm, I'm the bread uh, for your souls. I'm, I'm that same kind of nourishment. It's for everyone, just like uh, bread is a daily need. It's for everyone, and it's daily. We need him daily. We, we need this daily bread. And also, that we must feed on Jesus. And this is the one that's going to really mess with the people, and they're going to get really weirded out by it later on in this chapter. Because he says, look, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to have anything to do with me. And to the Jews, that sounded like the worst idea ever. But he says, you've got to partake in me. I have to be the thing that that sustains you. I've got to be your life. And so part of what he's meaning is we don't just admire him from afar. Lots of people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But he says, are you feeding on me? Are you actively partaking of life with Jesus? Are Are you partaking with me? We, we know from the Last Supper that Jesus says, this bread is my body. And, and he's born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. We, we get that he's putting together all these pieces right here. I am this bread that you've been looking for. I'm this bread that you've been longing for. He says, I, I'm going to be broken for you. We see that in this Last Supper. I'm, I'm broken for you. Partake of me. And Jesus makes an offer to these people just like he does for us. And he says, whoever comes to him and whoever believes in him, those are the two, the, the two offers. He says, whoever comes, whoever believes, I'll be here everything. See, I've always marveled at the crowd in this story. They've, they've seen Jesus feed them. This amazing miracle. And we know that there are other miracles happening. These healings and things were taking place. All kinds of miracles were, were, were going on here. And yet they, they still don't believe. They still want more. It's not enough. And they say, well, give us something real. We want a, a true miracle. Jesus, they're selfish and rude. They keep demanding more. But when I stop and I think about the story, I, I recognize myself. I, I, I wish I could just say, oh, they're, they're terrible. Oh, they're so selfish. All they do is use Jesus and just ask for more stuff and demand more stuff. And they'll never believe him unless they have more signs. But I see me. I see us. We are just the same as this, this crowd. You and I have been offered the greatest gift of all. A promise from Jesus that he has come and that he is better than anything else. We hear it all the time and so we can, we can get so used to it. But, but he tells us and we should know that he is the only thing that truly satisfies. Yet we still chase after silly things, temporary things. There's a lot in this world that, that promises satisfaction. But we should, we should know by now that that those things fail to deliver. Money, power, success, popularity, pleasure. They're all empty pursuits. They're all forfeits of this true bread, this, this actual bread that can give life. 
And they look like the real thing. And they seem to give the thing that we think we need for a time. But as we've experienced them, we have to all admit that they, they just don't last. And I can think of story after story of, of people who look like they had everything in this world. You think, well, how come they're so miserable? They got all that we want. There was even a story of a billionaire finance guy from New York this week. Some billionaire that, that invented, uh, what is it, the, uh, the leverage takeover. Some, some sort of, you know, kind of sneaky business thing where you can end up owning a company. And he had billions of dollars. He was the, he was the envy of all these financial gurus in New York City. And guess what? He took his own life this week. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy. It's not enough. Pursuing the things that we think we, that, that are going to bring us what the world tells us we need just wind up empty. We're just more, always still hungry. We're always still thirsty. It's never, ever enough. They're no, these things aren't what we need. Jesus says, I am better. I am better. I am the true bread. I'm the bread of life. And so if we want true satisfying of our souls, if we, if we truly want our thirst to be quenched, then we need Jesus. We need Jesus, more and more of Jesus. We have to stop pursuing these things that only leave us empty, that will just keep leaving us hungry. Things that leave us thirsting for more. We can think of these questions. What satisfies you? What are the things that you hope for when no one's around? What are the things that you're really longing for in your deepest desires of your heart? Is Is that satisfaction that can be found in Jesus? In Christ alone. This is what he's offering to us. It's a beautiful offer if we'll take it. Jesus, this true bread, this bread of life, that he alone can satisfy us now and forevermore. What a promise, what an offer. And that's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I'm too easily amused by simple things. I'm too easily distracted and enticed by petty things when you offer something that is true and authentic and ever satisfying too often I can be just like that crowd demanding more signs and more miracles if you just give me this Jesus I'd be happy if you just do this then I could really believe in you if you just get rid of these problems Jesus then then you could show that you're worth it. Over and over again. God, would you help our souls to find rest in this true bread, in this bread of life. Only you can give us everything that we need in Jesus. Help us now and forever to know it. Amen.